Let's the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. I don't know if I have the right mic set up here. Let me just see. Can you still hear me? Can you? Sounds all right. All right. I'll just go with that. Bruce, a very weird game in a lot of ways. The Oilers uh, lost 6-3 to the St. Louis Blues. 12 penalties against the Oilers. Mm-hmm. I I think that the refs thought they were watching the 1974 Philadelphia Flyers in no, action. No, they weren't actually because with the Flyers, the Flyers would commit 40 fouls and they would call eight of them and the other team would commit 12 fouls and they'd call seven of them. <laughs> Whereas... This was a lot of penalties against the Oilers in a game Philly where Philly would overwhelm them with infractions, and they literally they could not call them all. That was that was literally not figuratively, but literally. Fred Shero admitted it in words. Their strategy mm-hmm. yep. was to commit so many fouls that the referees could not call all the penalties. Anyway, it worked. Um, that was Guess they didn't have the two referee system that we enjoy today, David. Mm-hmm. There were some bad order penalties though too, like the Harney slot or cross check in front of the net. There, he's going to get mm-hmm. called on that. Anyway, Bruce, the Oilers had 20 grade A shots to 17 for St. Louis, huh. and when it came to the five alarm shots subset that go in a third of the time, Edmonton had 12 and the Blues had nine. So it's fair to say that on top of everything else, St. Louis had some pretty damn good goaltending in this game. Yep. And they did. Yep. Jordan Biddington was fantastic. And he was the difference. I think he was the difference in this game as much as anything, as much as the refereeing. It was it was Jordan Biddington. Um, he play. was a better goalie by some distance. He sure was. So, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, two numbers and one conundrum podcast. We'll go with two bad things each because it was that kind of night. What's your good thing, though? Yeah, well, I'll have to go with Edmonton's pushback uh, late in the first period, uh, when uh, they they well they scored first, but that was taken off the board for by a call, uh, and then St. Louis uh, jumped ahead one nothing. It looked like the Blues were getting the better, but and then Edmonton did actually get a power play. Uh, there was overlapping penalties, and when uh, Drysaddle came out of the box to join the power play, and uh, they executed very nicely indeed on that and scored uh, uh, while Drysaddle himself uh, scored the power play on a beautiful cross ice feed from McDavid. And then they kept coming. They got uh, they got one more uh, 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 power play where they were all over him. And uh, Bennington made two ph- two phenomenal saves on. Hyman and a third on McDavid, uh, all in during the, the two-minute power play. The two on Hyman, I suspect, will both be on the 50 plays of the month role that they show on uh, Sportsnet all month because uh, they were both individually outstanding saves. Uh, but the orders kept coming, and finally, at even strength in the last minute of the period, Hyman... Uh, Got a shot that again Bennington stopped, but this time uh, Nuge was able to recover the rebound and jam it in uh, to make it 2-1 Edmonton. And then they just barely managed to make it 
to the buzzer with two tenths of a second or so to spare uh, with the 2-1 lead, but that was about the end of good things for Edmonton Oilers in this game. Yeah, on that one power play, the Oilers had five grade-A shots and uh, three of them were five alarm shots. It was a heck of a sequence on the power play. Dreisaitl's goal on the previous power play was fantastic. It was it was what I call a tabletop hockey goal, where in the old some of the old sets of tabletop hockey, you would just you'd put it over the winger and you just or into the slot and you just slam it in as hard as you could the centering pass. Mm-hmm. This was to the wing, and but it was just so automatic the shot. It was just slammed home. Fantastic uh, goal by Leon Dreisaitl. Bruce, my good thing is Corey Perry's goal in the third period that made it 5-3 and temporarily gave the Oilers a little bit of hope, at least. Um, he really is a great crease player, and, and you can see it. Like now, now that I'm focused on him, I he's just he just really is there all the time, making it hell on the goalie. And I think he threw Bennington off on that one. He just like. Um, the puck goes back to the point on that one, and Kulak puts a shot on net off. A, there was two nice board plays to start it all off, I should say, by Drysaddle and McDavid. Were both one the kind of one puck battles, puck protected, and make nice passes. Kulak takes the shot; it's tipped slightly, and Perry's just he's just there because he's he's on Bennington mm-hmm. as close to illegal as you can get in the NHL without being illegal, mm-hmm. and I think he's actually really excellent at that. To the point where the first goal that was called back was really close. I mean, I think it was the correct call, but man, Perry makes it close. He makes it difficult for the refs because he's he just really works it. He knows the rules, and um, <coughs> excuse me, he he, he um, exploits them. And in this one, he got the tip shot before it hit the net, and he wrapped it around Bennington with a great goal. So um, it was his first uh, goal as an Edmonton Oiler. He I've heard some speculation who would score first, Corey Perry or Connor Brown. Poor old Connor Brown. We just uh, so just close. just three minutes after that, the Oilers' last last real gasp of the game was Connor Brown. Um, his chance where he uh, dinked the goalie and put it off the crossbar. He did <laughs> everything perfect. He did everything perfect except score. Anyway, Corey Perry did everything perfect, mm-hmm. and he scored. Mm-hmm. And um, Connor Brown, it's not his game, Corey Perry's game. They play different games. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not going to tell him to emulate Cor- Corey Perry. But um, if you're that player, boy, Corey Perry has that style of play perfected. And now the Oilers have kind of three guys in Kane, Perry, and Hyman who are all pretty good at that style of game. And... Um, yeah. That could make a difference in the playoffs. If there, if you have one of them on each line, um, that could be proved to be very effective in the playoff run that's hopefully upcoming. That's a whole lot of net front presence by the time you add the three of them together. Yeah, we but just like missed you say, three Bonhoeffer. separate lines. Yeah. One, one per line is just right for net front yeah. uh, merchants. Indeed. Bruce, what's your uh, first bad thing? Yeah, well, it's got to be the the, the uh, uh, opening sequence of the second period. And Edmonton came out with their uh, with their top line of, uh, well, it was McDavid, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, Ekholm, and Bouchard. And against St. Louis's 
uh, I guess it was the Braden Shen line that started the period. And anyway, they just, St. Louis just took total ownership of the play right from the face off. They forced it into Edmonton's zone. Oilers got a chance to clear it and uh, Hyman got it and he was able to just weakly dump it out into the center zone where St. Louis just picked it up and poured right back in. Like he had clear possession and instead of getting to center and making the dump and, you know, maybe at least change somebody out. And so St. Louis poured right back into Edmonton's zone again and there they remained. And I'm just looking at the uh, at the play-by-play here, St. Louis wins the face-off, so it takes them 25 seconds, and their second time in the zone, they get a, a shot that's blocked by a teammate. Uh, then St. Louis gets three consecutive shots uh, that miss the net from 47 and 24 feet. Uh, then they miss, wait a minute, a fourth time, uh, then the sixth shot attempt of the period is a deflection on net from Shen on a tip-in from seven feet out. And then the seventh shot is a goal. And so it's a minute and nine seconds where St. Louis has seven shot attempts to zero. Uh, and they just get progressively more dangerous. First one's blocked. The next four are, are unblocked, but they miss the net. The next one is a shot on goal that's saved. And then the last one, of course, the shot on goal that isn't saved. And it just went down, 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 down. And at no point did it seem like any Oiler was particularly interested in winning a battle or maybe getting a hold of a puck or, you know, maybe knock somebody down, box them out. You know, there's a few different sort of defensive strategies in the game that just weren't very much in evidence during that sequence. And that whole set of plays... And that same unit got owned again for for the third goal a couple of shifts later. Was uh, much but different. That, but that was the one that set the set the table for this is a game where St. Louis just wants it more than Edmonton was my takeaway from that shift because there just wasn't Edmonton wasn't joining the battle and St. Louis was just taking it to him and Edmonton was like fully on the back back feet. And it was uh, two to two, and it was sort of, uh-oh, here we go. And, and that was just the beginning of a very, very bad period for Edmonton. Probably the worst period since the first period at Carolina, I'm thinking. Oh, and they gave in four goals in 15 minutes. Well, this one they lost 4 nothing in one period. Yeah, and as you say, the next goal was the same line, and it was a similar kind of situation where they got caught running around and watching and getting outworked and it's funny as you're watching it you know I'm, I'm looking for obvious mistakes they're just small ones really and they're not they're not obvious a lot of the mistakes because because no. no one's really getting beat badly or it's just no one's winning a battle no sure. one's anticipating better than the other team no one's on their toes nope. and getting to the puck first yeah. it's always just they're just a bit passive all of a sudden in their defensive coverage. Um, Bruce, my my uh, first bad thing is Connor McDavid's play on the penalty kill late in the second. He was sent out. I guess everyone else is pretty exhausted by then, killing penalties. But um, he had hard a to get exhausted rough. in 10 seconds and you give him a goal, David. Maybe the coach was looking for a different <laughs> solution. A goal. Well, maybe they want, maybe it didn't want work. a goal anyway. But anyway, they put out McDavid. They don't usually do it. They tried it. And um, the reason, 
I'm singling him out. It's not because he and McLeod allowed crossing passes. There's two crossing passes leading up to the goal uh, where CC in the end was left covering two guys in front. And that's, that's yeah. a pretty tough job. But so both McLeod and McDavid allowed that by allowing these slicing passes through the Edmonton zone. But just before then, Connor McDavid, you know, the best player in the NHL with a puck on his stick won the puck on his stick in the slot area. And if there's one guy you think is going to get it out of the Oilers' end in a key moment like that, it's Connor McDavid. And he kind of put a, I think it was a backhander, kind of a lame backhander off the boards, and it didn't get, not even close to getting out. So that's a pretty major error in a pretty big moment. It's 4-2 then. It's it's not likely the Oilers can come back, but, man, it's super unlikely when it's 5-3 and there's a goal in the last minute of the period. That just is such a crushing play for the Oilers, and they never really did recover from that. Um, So that's my first bad thing. What's your second? David, I got to talk about the men in stripes tonight. I didn't think that this was a, a, a fairly officiated game. And the game summary sure would seem to, to back me up. Uh, Oilers got, uh, uh, let me see now, uh, they did get three, two power plays uh, in the first period and a partial power play. They scored on the partial power play. And then on the third one, they they came so close and Bennington made all those saves. And it was like the referees collectively went, oh my goodness, Edmonton's power play is too good. We can't give them any more for the entire rest of the game. And meanwhile, tweet, 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 ticky-tack, ticky-tack, ticky-tack on Oilers. <clears throat> Left, right, and center, seven penalties in a row in the last... Uh, two periods, including six in the last 25 minutes of the game. Oilers spent 12 of the last 25 minutes killing penalties. Uh, or I guess there were goals scored in there that shortened a couple of them. And some of the penalties that they were calling were, I mean, some of them were penalties, no doubt. Uh, and in fact, maybe even many of them were penalties. Uh, but uh, there were some borderline ones, and Edmonton did not get a single borderline call. They sure didn't get one when Kane got tripped in the third period. They sure didn't get one when Drysaddle got tripped right before the empty net goal. But boy, if an Oiler looked sideways at a guy, I mean, Vinny DeHarnay got four penalties, and one was definitely deserved. One in the corner, like they called him for elbowing. And, I mean, what did he do? Like, did he even touch the guy? And then he got an extra two minutes for arguing with the ref on the way off. And at a certain point, the ref might be thinking, well, you know, we've screwed these guys with six penalties in a row. Maybe I should just shut up and listen while this guy lips me off a little bit. But no, let's give him another penalty. And it was just, um, so there's that. There's a goal they disallowed to start the game, which I honestly think Evan should have challenged because Perry did get pushed in by Krug. I mean, he he made a meal of it, but he got pushed into the crease by the defenseman, which is technically what they usually... And so anyway, I don't know what the refs said to Corey, but they found something to say to Corey that they couldn't say in 2017. So that kind of got my dander up a little bit. And then there were the icings. And there was a critical play in the second period where Edmonton iced the pot and Jack or Louie was saying, geez, I can't believe they didn't give him center. And I'm going, I can't believe they didn't say Kane was going to win the race to the puck. And they called icing. And sure enough, they lose the face off. St. Louis gets a, a cycle. Edmonton takes a penalty. Then St. Louis gets a face off. They got another cycle and a goal. Like literally from the moment that icing was called, the puck never led Edmonton territory until it was in net. It was two whistles later and it's hard to make the connection. But anytime I think there's a 
crappy icing call. I'm always watching anxiously until the next time the puck leaves the zone. It didn't. And then in the third period, the Oilers were like all over St. Louis for the first minute, minute and a half. And the St. Louis guy is sucking wind and he fires one down the ice and the Oilers like 15 feet behind it. And that's icing. They're not icing. They wave it off. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. Are you the same guy who let that call that one in the second period? And you're saying this one isn't like be a little bit consistent. Holy crap. Anyway, it's not the reason they lost. St. Louis was a better team, but the the Stripes had a brutal game and they deserve to be called out for it. So that's my second bad thing. I didn't even know, like, I always thought for unsportsmanlike conduct, is that what DeHarnay got on his second penalty there? Yeah. That yeah. It was a 10-minute misconduct. Like, you get a two-minute penalty now? How, <clears throat> don't they usually give 10-minute misconduct and... You know, that's a way of solving it elegantly because it doesn't hammer the whole team because some non nothing to do with the game, really just unsportsmanlike conduct has happened. Okay, punish that player 10 minutes to think about it, take him out of the game. But to punish the Oilers in that moment. So I guess it's two minutes is obviously possible. I just kick him while yeah, unsportsmanlike conduct. They all he did was talk to him. I mean, I don't know what he said. I mean, he could have said something brutal. Who knows? And we might find out. On the other hand, we'll never get any explanation from the league or the officials or anybody uh, who's putting on this product that we fans are paying to consume to explain to us why one team got seven penalties and the other team got none in the last forty minutes of this game. Like you Wasn't just don't eight? see that. Well, the last seven in a row. Okay. Do um, is it usually is that just my imagination, Bruce? That they usually get a ten-minute misconduct for unsportsmanlike conduct, or do you see two minutes often? I don't. Not often. They they very rarely call it, and they usually don't call it against the team they've already called five straight times. I will say that, and they did here. So they uh, they had a bad game. Chris Rooney, Jordan Samuels, Thomas were the refs. Tyson Baker and Killen McNamara were the linesmen. And mm-hmm. they they uh, they should be obliged to rewatch this game and uh, and repent for their sins. <laughs> All right. All right. Anyway, probably better to get get shafted in a game where you deserve to lose anyway, as opposed to have refs take away a game where you deserve to win, but but they gave the other guys, you know, enough calls. Anyway, Edmonton could have got back in this game, but... Um, my bad thing is just some of these mixed goals that the Oilers had, and starting with Hyman's two on the power play in the first. You know, man, and, and then Connor Brown's play in the third, which, we you know, we've mentioned these things already, but if you just score, if you can figure out a way to score, and sometimes you can't because the goalie's good, and sometimes you can't because of, and some people hate this idea of puck luck. Um, but Bruce, I really, it's it's frustrating when they did have 20 grade A shots this game. They could have won this game with better puck luck or weaker goaltending. Now, the goaltending is part of the game. Yep. But um, I know some people don't, believe in puck luck or don't think it should be talked about or don't think it's part of the game it definitely is when you we have been doing this work with grade a shots now since 2010 we have seen closely 
and we've seen re replays of grade A shots up the yin yang. And I'll tell you what, there's often so little difference between a goal and a and a and a missed shot or a goal and a block shot or a goal and and a, and and a save. It's just it's just fractions. Uh, you know, what was that saying you had the other day from the Battle of the Inch? Or something like that for wrong British side soccer. of the inch. The wrong side all, of the it's inch. It's also a golf turn. Uh, it's like another golf turn is the rub of the green. <laughs> well, the rub of the, the ice yeah. and the yeah. It's a thing. It is a thing. It it, it is totally deny, a thing. You deny it, you're. You know. It just it's it it often comes down. Hockey games often come down to luck, puck luck, and did did this game. Not so much because Bennington really was good. He was fantastic, and Stuart Skinner wasn't. Nope. But um, if Connor Brown somehow manages to ring that in to the net off the crossbar instead of out of the net um, with about five minutes left, it's the Oilers are just down one goal and uh, have a real opportunity to come back if they don't get another penalty. That is. So um, yeah, it was. I guess my bad thing is is the puck luck. There was a little bit of that going on tonight for the Oilers. Probably the Blues could complain about the same thing, but um, it hit the Oilers at a key moment, and it's, it's, it sure hammered poor old Connor Brown one more time. Yeah, well, puck luck is this chaos at the quantum level. You know, I mean, it's sometimes it's literally the, the angle at the edge of the puck strikes the ice, yeah. or who it hits on the way in. Like the pass that deflected off a of Bouchard stick and right to Robert Thomas for the first goal. Now that is puck luck. Like a puck went right across the face of goal through a lane that hadn't previously existed, right to the goal score. You know, and that's just, it happens. You just got to accept that it's part of the game. Yep. Just like you have to accept the crappy fishing is part of the game. Anyway, I'm sure it was in this game. Uh, here's, by the way, natural stat trick. They had... Edmonton with 52% of the shot attempts, 53% of the unblocked, 56% almost of the shots, 55% of the scoring chances, 55% of the high danger scoring chances, and 53% of the expected goals, all in favor of Edmonton tonight. They were similar. 4.6 yeah. to 4.1, like that's a very high number of expected goals and it was a high scoring yeah. game and i mean our chance is 20 to 17 second game in a row with that inflated count the order's defense is disintegrating um what's your number bruce the order's defense is disintegrating my number david is the oilers um uh, between christmas and the end of january break went 14 straight games allowing two goals or fewer since they come back from the break they are 0 for 5 they gave in three with an empty net goal, almost made it that game. Then they gave in three to the Ducks, then four to the Kings, then four to the Red Wings, and now six to the Blues. And so all of a sudden, it's 20 goals against in five games, which is a four goals against per game average. And they've done well to come out of it with two wins and three losses because that's just yeah. too many goals against. Sure is. My number is 243 compared to 733. 243 is the average ice time that Darnell Nurse plays on the penalty kill in one game. Tonight he played 733. Wow. 
and um, that's a lot of minutes on the PK. Those are hard, hard, strenuous minutes. It also mm -hmm. indicates that your team was called for a lot of penalties. So, um, yeah. Doesn't help when uh, the, the the penalties are, five of them are the defensemen, four to DeHarney yeah. and one to Cece. Yeah. Yeah, DeHarney had been saying the other other uh, game that he had done a good job of not taking those kind of a super aggressive penalties. The first mm -hmm. one he took with the cross check in front of the net was a super yep. aggressive penalty. He's going to get called on all day. Yep. He can't get away with it. So, And he's been laying off it, I think, generally speaking. Maybe even more, like I think he is genuinely picked on because of his size and reputation and for those kinds of penalties. But um, yeah, he's going to have to lay off it more than other defensemen will because he will be hammered. Bruce, the conundrum is the Oilers' defense. Okay, so it went. It was really, really good for a long time. Then they split. They split up the defense pairings, and um, solving a problem that didn't need to be solved. And now they put them back together, and they're just they're worse. What What's going on? What do you think's going on? And and is there a way to get back to the way they were? for about two months when they played really solid defensive hockey, at least six weeks, six weeks of outstanding defensive play. Is this just a, how do you read it? Is this just a little blip or is this, is this situation normal for the orders? Just like last year when they couldn't defend and hold a lead and were yeah. rancid on defense most of the year. Well, it's definitely a little blip and uh, you know, you can't expect the team just to stay on this, this long, <clears throat> long high, run mm -hmm. and so I, i'm happy in the sense that they've been able to stop two losing streaks in a row at one by winning one it'd be nice to win two or three and kind of kind of restabilize that way uh but the defense and i understand the idea between switching them around and ultimately the idea was to see if deharney and nurse worked as a pair and they didn't particularly but the regular pairs that they went back to haven't looked exactly uh, shiny. Uh, the last two games I, tonight, I thought Bouchard and Eckholm were having all kinds of trouble out there, and and, and that that, uh, uh, that whole unit wound up minus two on the night, and that was after they'd scored a goal. And so it was. Uh, uh, they've just gone stale, and I think it's sort of top to bottom stale. And not just the defense, but team defense, and they're just not dialed in for more than a period here and there. I so think the NHL is full of really talented players, packed mm -hmm. full of talented players and talented teams, with little to separate them. And if you're not totally dialed into playing defensive hockey, you're going to go on a run like this. And the owners are. I, I thought they had it down, and I and I think they will get it back. I so my my answer is this is a blip. That I think we're going to see it again uh, when we need to see it. Really super strong defense, but they need to they need to make it more of a, a regular habit. Um, they were working hard on the attack. I, I still think they're working really hard on the attack. I don't think the owners are getting outworked in that area. They're really going for it, putting up a lot of grade A shots still in these games but they're they're a little bit passive and watching at even strength 
um, and Cavalier on the PK. And it's resulting in all these goals against. But uh, I saw it for a long enough period of time that I was encouraged to think these guys know they had a real good taste of it. They know how to do it and they're going to get back to it hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, well, the schedule is uh, not really their friend just now. Like, they're, you know, there's not, um, they had a steady diet of teams that were uh, out of the playoffs. And now for this next while, mostly they're playing against teams that are in the hunt, like St. Louis for tonight. I mean, give St. Louis credit. They'd won seven of their prior nine games coming into this game, and they were the better team on balance, to my eye, Yeah, tonight. You know, they don't have the break, Bruce, but they do have that stat you pointed out, the three, three, four, four, six goals against mm-hmm. in the last five games. For conscientious people and um, responsible players, which I think this is a veteran team and, and they are that, that that will weigh on them. That's going to start building. That that should get their attention. I think, okay, what am, you know, each person on the team thinking, what am I doing wrong? What can I do differently? That kind of thing. And I think that's that's probably the process they're going to go through. So you're right. They don't have, um, they don't have a break, but they have the misery of losing and the misery of being crappy again in their own zone, which which haunts this team now, I think which I think is a real thing for this team because not only was it in the playoffs last year against Vegas, not only was it too much of last season, it was the terrible start to this season. So I think that I'm guessing, and I, I'm, I have no idea I'm not around the team. I um, I listened to the some of the interviews. I don't even listen to all the player interviews. I listened to all the, most of the coach interviews though. But I'm just guessing that, that they are haunted by that, that it is a real thing um, with this Oilers team and they're going to get it together again defensively. Yeah, I expect so. And whether, you know, they make some kind of move in between times, you know, I mean, that's doing nothing but raise a little bit of pressure on on uh, management to say, well, if this isn't working, what, what will? But like I say, I think it's probably a temporary dip. Uh, but it'd be nice to see a real solid 60-minute effort in one of these games. So I'm not sure we've seen one yet since the All-Star break. Whatever player they bring in, Bruce, I want him. I, I just think it's really important that he's a super solid defensive player. Um, you know, I'm not that interested in just another offensive hockey player. I don't think that's the answer for the Oilers. I think what they need is a, a personally, I, I think what they really need is a super solid third line center um, who's a great defensive player and a really aggressive hockey player. And that's what. That's what would make a difference on the owners. That would also free up Ryan McLeod to play the wing, where I think he's better. Um, I'm surprised we actually haven't seen McLeod back with Dreisaitl, because that line um, was fantastic for a while, and then suddenly they they went away from it. I'm not even sure why. So I wouldn't mind seeing McLeod given another chance with Dreisaitl, but you know. And Fogel. And Fogel was, was that the third guy on that line? Yeah, or was it, it was. Kane? Okay. Yeah, go back to that line. It worked. It was a hardworking line. Um, but in terms of trade, that's what I'm, if they're going to, and it sounds like they are really hunting for that player. I don't know who that center is. Like I'm, I don't know um, if he exists, if he's even on the market right now, but I suspect on one of these teams not making the playoffs and that number's growing ever bigger and it's sinking in with different teams now 
that um, they're not making it. They should be able to find such a player. Yeah, well, they, they, it's not a race because they every day they wait, they accrue cap space, and the, whoever they're bringing in, they have to pay them one fewer a day. So, uh, you know, the, the, the math suggests the trade you make right on the deadline allows you to maximize your cap space and bring on the most expensive you know, addition to your payroll, however you, you know, whoever you send out and bring back, you know, they can add more and more dollars each day between now and the deadline. And it obviously, uh, you can't do anything after that, but at that point they could, they could take on something like $2.4 million in extra salary uh, compared to the roster they have now. So if they sign a player who earns 4.8 million a year, essentially um and if the other team eats half of that that's they could almost afford a five million dollar a year player um, yeah. if things go or, as we yeah expect. or they could send out a one million dollar player and bring in a three point there you go three and a quarter million dollar player to replace them you know there's different ways you can do that so how much does boone jenner make <laughs> 3.8 or something how many more years does he have on he's got a couple more years oh yeah Columbus finally fired Yarmo Kekalainen today. Yeah. After 11 years on the job with not a lot of success to show for it. But. Well, I'm guessing that makes them less likely to trade a player like Boom Jenner. Maybe. Maybe the new guy comes in and decides to clean house. Get some draft picks. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, it's, maybe they bring in Cliff Fletcher in Toronto. To just get rid of everybody so that the new GM next year can come in with a clean slate. Boone Jenner, 30 years old, um, mm-hmm. has two more years at 3.75 million yeah, after this go. year. So he was that a right shot, he'd be really good fit. But even as uh-huh. a left shot, he's you know. But in a perfect world, you got that guy down the lineup and he shoots right and he can kill penalties and win face-offs and if you get that guy that was Bukestad last year he checked all those boxes and yeah. they got him cheap because they even had him retained way below the NHL minimum so you know there's things that can be done and Holland has shown in the past despite his reputation of not being very creative uh, I thought that deal to get Bukestad was was uh Oh, great. Pretty, pretty, pretty advanced. Yeah, like the, he had literally used every dollar of his cap space. And the only reason he had enough was that he at, uh, he worked out that Nashville retained 250000 on Ekholm. And didn't, like, at the time, I think, well, 250000 that gives him four hundred and fifty k. That's not even one player. Well, it's one player with 50% retained, which is what it was in the end. And so there was a method to all of that madness so ideally they find somebody like that again and maybe pay a little extra to get some of it retained and get the guy in even a little bit cheaper bruce let's leave it there thanks for talking tonight all right thanks for listening everyone rant and all and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast